0: Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangesty, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China Watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll look at the latest gloomy economic signals, this time coming from European firms in China. We'll also look at a report saying AstraZeneca is weighing a plan to spin off its China unit as a separate company. We'll start with the latest survey from the EU Chamber of Commerce in China, which is downright gloomy from a group of companies that's usually quite upbeat on China. Among other things, the Chamber's latest annual survey found a big rise in the number of companies whose revenue fell last year. It also showed how the number of companies seeing China as a top investment destination fell to a record low. So Renee, uh, first of all, I assume it's probably safe to say this kind of sentiment applies across the board to most foreign companies in China, not just European, and the EU chamber was also quite vocal in its opposition to zero COVID over the last three years, but that officially ended last year. So shouldn't the EU businesses be celebrating now or at least a little more optimistic? And, you know, why the continuing gloom? I think there are a few reasons for that, Doug. Um,
1: First of all, COVID is over. Um, That's true. But I think that for a lot of foreigners, companies or individuals, um, there's a, a lingering concern that it could happen again, not COVID, but some other virus that would go rampage through China and the country would take similar measures Hmm. to uh, the COVID measures, which, you know, it was not just one year. I mean, it was three years, which, which was an awfully long period of time for any foreigner living there, not really being able to get out easily or foreigners outside being able to go in, to attend to their business or other reasons as well, Mm. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, Secondly, there is, if you listen to uh, European companies recently, there is a perception that they don't have a level playing field in China, and it could be true, it could be half true or not true at all, Mm. but that is definitely a perception. It is, I think, reinforced by the fact that very clearly the Chinese government, at least until recently, has given all indications that it favors state-owned enterprises over any private enterprise. That seems to be changing a little bit right now, uh, Mm -hmm. given uh, the state of the economy. But obviously, all foreign companies are private companies. They are not SOEs, and that, I think, contributes to that feeling then you 've got geopolitical tensions and uh, and a depressed economy, or at least an economy that is not rebounding um, as people expected
0: right, they were hoping. As people hoped hmm.
1: uh, as uh, you know lots of people got very excited uh, towards the end of last year about the fact that the Chinese economy was going to rebound substantially because you know, catch up and pent up demand and all of that. And uh, the first few months uh, actually showed that, but then uh, things slow down again. So there's a fair amount of uncertainty uh, about the economy. And then uh, going back to geopolitical tensions, um, you know, you have a feeling that has developed very strongly, at least over the last two years. It is important to diversify supply chains Mm -hmm. that uh, companies and consumers around the world and governments around the world don't want to be caught once again uh, ever in a situation where, you know, lots of things come almost to a standstill as they did uh, during COVID. So there's, there's a multitude of reasons there.
0: All right, so that sort of takes us into the next question I had is, is you know, is the bloom off the China rose, as they like to say, or are these trends temporary? Or is this, uh, you know, sort of a, a long-term thing? Yeah, you do you think, by the time the next survey comes around uh, next year, we'll, we'll see an improvement. Um, and especially, I think the big drop in appetite for investing in China, as someone who's been around for a long time, that looked sort of worrisome to me, especially if you're looking at it from China's perspective.
1: It's difficult to say you know, how long it might last. Um, I think the thing that is pretty clear to a lot of people that I talk to and I've spoken with over the past two, three years, is that things will never be like, again, like they were before. Hmm. Um, The reasons are the ones that I have mentioned. Um, More recently, the Chinese government has shown signs that it definitely wants to prop the Chinese economy. I think that a lot of foreign companies are Not too sure about uh, how much actually will happen uh, and how fast or when. There's a general feeling that some of the measures that are being taken or rumored to be taken may not necessarily be very successful because a lot of it is predicated on people and companies borrowing again and consuming and so on. And, um, you know, what I hear and I've been hearing for quite a while is that, uh, for instance, on the consumer side, uh, consumers are very, very careful. They tend to, you know, shy away from big tickets unless they absolutely have to. So, economic uncertainty, I think, is going to continue for a while. In my opinion, you know, it may get a bit better in the second half of this year, but I don't think that we're going to go back to the kind of growth that we saw pre-COVID. So, you know, if you're a foreign company with business and sales in China and so on, especially on the consumer side of the economy, that doesn't look as attractive as it once did.
0: Mm -hmm. So you think that this is like really a a watershed moment that uh, things will never, I mean, because again, we've both been in China, for years and every year, it's just like, oh, I'm going to invest, invest in China, top investment destination, uh, top priority, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that the days of that sort of stuff are gone.
1: Um, I think that uh, in absolute term, to the extent of historical extent and magnitude, I think that the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. We all have seen, we all have read about Western companies diversifying supply chain uh, moving uh, part of the manufacturing process to places like Vietnam, India, even actually uh, more recently to Mexico to be closer to the US and the Canadian market. Mm. Uh, You've got the whole efforts of the US administration to reshore a number of industries or at least uh, companies and so on Mm. so all of that is as far as i'm concerned a pretty clear trend and it is going to to continue we Mm. can see that even big companies like apple and so on have increasingly been talking about producing in china for the china market which basically implies producing outside of China for the (laughs) the rest rest of of the world. world. Uh, That is a major difference from, you know, the way companies were looking at manufacturing and supply chain pre-COVID.
0: Right. That is a big difference, I guess. China in and of itself is a huge market, so people aren't going to forget about that. But uh, using China as your production base for the rest of the world might not be around or my attitudes are changing on that.
1: Yeah China is a, is a huge market but it's hmm. also a market where uh, at least certain western brands are facing increasing competition from domestic brands as well hmm. and um, and there are a number of reasons for that number one i think that the number of Domestic Chinese brands have become very good at producing quality products and products that people want. Um, sometimes there's a bit of a nationalistic aspect to it as well. So I think that the, all of that is sending some Western companies to become much more cautious about what they want to produce in China, mm-hmm. even aside from rebalancing their supply chain, but just Producing for the domestic market. Right. Is is the demand gonna continue to grow for you know a lot of Western goods, for instance? I mean, luxury goods probably for quite a while. But for some other goods, you know, you look at some of the o- uh, automobile brands and so on, Volkswagen, uh, GM, and so on. They're losing market
0: share. All right. Well, we'll stay tuned uh, for next year's survey. Anyway, let's let's move on. Uh, next, we're gonna look at AstraZeneca. The Financial Times is reporting the British drug maker is studying a plan to hive off its China business into a separate company and what looks like a nod to the unique qualities of the Chinese market. Reflecting that uniqueness, the Financial Times quoted AstraZeneca's China head recently saying how his company would be a patriotic one that, quote, loves the Communist Party. That's certainly not something you would see company chiefs saying in too many other countries. So, do you think this is a smart move by AstraZeneca, and, and what, if anything, would change if it moves ahead with this plan?
1: Yeah, I think it's smart in the sense that it is probably inevitable, um, given the geopolitical tensions. I think that uh, you know a lot of Western companies are still very close in time to what happened to their operations in in Russia, Hmm. um, after Russia invaded Ukraine and Western governments um, rolled out sanctions against Russia, the Russian government, Russian companies and all of that. And uh, public opinion also put a lot of pressure on a lot of companies to, you know, sell, get rid of clothes, whatever. Their Russian operations, their Russian yeah. businesses. Uh, it it has not happened a hundred percent across the board, but many many companies went through that, including companies like IKEA, for instance, uh, which is you know Scandinavian company, fairly close to uh, Russia, at least geographically speaking. So it has been an expensive exercise and an expensive lesson for quite a number of Western companies. And I think that, uh, you know, then they look at the other side of the world and the geopolitical tensions. And what if something happens between China and Taiwan, the US in particular, Europe as well, probably, uh, maybe other Western countries apply sanctions. And what does it do to the uh, Foreign-owned companies in in China. The um, after what happened to Russia, every chairman, chief executive officer, board of directors, of companies that have operations outside of the Western world, at least for Western companies, have an obligation to actually think about um, those uh, potential issues and and come up with Plan B. So. I think that uh, this is part of what is happening here. We've seen what happened with Sequoia. Uh, This is AstraZeneca. Um, It's too soon to really have a sense for how it's going to play out, how they would do it. I mean, studying a plan is studying a plan. It's not until uh, they make a decision that the structure of uh, the separation uh, will become clear and then we can have a better Formed opinions about where it's all headed, right? But you know, I mean, some some companies you th- think about Yum, you know, Yum has uh, had Yum China for a long time. It's it's a separate entity which is actually listed as a separate entity on the right. Hong Kong Stock Exchange. So that's um, boards of directors and and management need to at least consider that mm. and know why. They make a decision to not do it or a decision to do it and, you know, <laughs> protect their shareholders in particular.
0: Right. Tell me this. I mean, this this does seem to be like the latest instance. We've, we've talked about this on the podcast before about of companies splitting themselves into two parts, one for China and one for the rest of the world. Um, right. You know, do you have any thoughts on what are the longer term implications for this kind of pattern and... You know, will China eventually become a land of specialized companies dedicated to to serving just the China market?
1: Well, you know, I always uh, try not to be definitive when when it <laughs> comes to people having a, people or companies having a chance to make money. So hmm. uh, sometimes, you know, uh, memories are very short. The um, who knows um you know but i think that as long as the uh, current are around and continue uh that uh yeah i mean more and more companies are going to follow this path they will be forced to do it either through public opinion or shareholder management they and governments hmm. so um, i think the trend is is there i don't think that we're going to see an avalanche of companies doing that very very quickly Uh, But I'm sure that uh, pretty much every major company which is facing this situation is studying uh, and and developing plans.
0: Okay. Have to wait and see. Okay. Well, uh, thanks everybody for joining us this week. In our next program, we're going to take a look at rampant corruption in one of China's top policy banks. And we'll also look at a lawsuit filed in the U.S. by global drug giant AbbVie against one of China's leading innovative drug makers. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. Meantime, hope to see you all next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you all.